Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Mother's Day. We opened the show celebrating mom, had lunch with my mom today, Jonathan Lowe. Hopefully you called your mom at some point today, he did, he's confirming. Uh, mom lives down 35 in uh, the Kansas City metro area, so he did get the call in, so so we are covered. I even brought a plant. Don't at me, people, don't at me. <laughs> I, I brought a plant. Um a, a year ago, I'm a little bummed out. Uh, the rabbits got into the plant I, I bought. Uh, apparently, she caught a rabbit using the front steps as a way to climb into the pot and and eat uh, the the flowers that I bought in in this big outdoor pot. Kind of a bummer. Hopefully, that doesn't happen uh, this year with with what I brought over to mom. Uh, some good news for working moms here in Minnesota and Wisconsin that uh, the two states rank right near the top in uh, uh, a survey put together by Wallet Hub. Uh, 2023's best and worst states for working moms. And the good news is Minnesota is right there. And joining us tonight on the program is. Kate Perushek, Deputy Commissioner, Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry. Kate, good to visit with you. Thanks for joining us. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. And it is good news. I I guess uh, without even reading the article, I would assume that uh, of all the states in the union, Minnesota would be top 10, and sure enough, it's there. And I expect we're only going to grow in that ranking in the years to come. Yeah, and there, there are a number of factors that go into this. I, I remember uh, my wife always worked. My mom worked uh, all the way through when, when my brothers and I were, were growing up. So she was a working mom. My wife was a working mom. And daycare is a big part of the equation, isn't it? I mean, let's oh, face absolutely. it. That, that's number one. Yep. Having access to affordable child care is really key. The affordable part is is what's needed for Minnesota working moms. Yeah, and what what can government's role be in all of that? Because um, I, I work full-time in the printing business, and as a matter of fact, one of the women just had a child not long ago and came back to work, and I, w- I was part of a, a conversation uh, about daycare, and I was blown away at the, at the cost of daycare. 
I, I'm a little bit yeah, out of touch. Really My kids are grown, but it, it is unbelievable. It really is. It really is. And I think, you know, affordable child care has been a priority for Governor Walls and the Walls administration. So there have been a number of proposals to help, you know, grow child care centers throughout the state. There's shortages, particularly in greater Minnesota, and also support families directly so that they can afford child care, such as through early learning scholarships, which helps you know, lower income families be able to afford child care. Yeah, and also, there's other initiatives like universal pre-K and um, initiatives like that too. So once kids are older, they could, you know, go to go to pre-K instead, and yeah, pay less or pay nothing at all. Yeah, absolutely. I I would also think uh, a part of that is uh, creating an environment that encourages people to get into the daycare business, if you will, because we were fortunate enough to have a family friend when when our daughters were young, we were able to take. Uh, the the girls to to a family friend and and she had a mm-hmm. daycare business and it worked out great. It, it was still expensive, uh, I, but it, it was a family friend. It was familiar. It was trusted. Just flat out access to daycare, I would assume, can be an issue uh, here in the cities and all around the state. Definitely, there are shortages all around. But to, to your point, attracting people to that type of work is hard because it's not well paid either. That's the problem too. Like we're trying to support mothers and families on the one hand to be able to afford what daycare is costs, but those centers aren't really able to afford to pay their workers. So it's kind of a, it's a tough cycle. There's so many different types of care too, family friend and neighbor or center care or family child care providers and having a mix of those um, options available is really important to support working parents. Yeah, and I think one of the the perfect scenarios is I know some of the larger employers have in-house daycare. It, what a great situation that is! Oh, you know, absolutely! Wouldn't that be wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, Take it right where you work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And 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 there are some of those. Uh, unfortunately, most folks are employed by small employers who don't have the resources, and that kind of gets mm-hmm. back into you know going forward. What can the state do? You, you, you talked about the Walls administration. Um, Wisconsin's doing some things very well. You know what? What really works to make a great environment uh, for for women to not only pursue their careers, but but also have access to daycare and properly take care of their children. Right. I would say, and you may have heard, the biggest push right now is for paid family and medical leave, so that you know working parents are able to take paid time off of work to care for a new baby or their own health, um, such as their own serious health condition, or even to care for an aging loved one. Because specifically for for women, working women, and a lot of the caregiving responsibilities fall on women. And so they have a difficult time um, exiting the workforce temporarily. And so sometimes they have to make the difficult choice of not working at all, leaving the the labor force entirely. Um, And so trying to find a way to support Families through paid family and medical leave, I think, would be an enormous step forward for working parents in this state. I, I think one of the concerns on, on the flip side is that is, you know, can small businesses in particular, once again, the lion's share of people work for small businesses, can they afford that? And Well, and it's a, it's a shared model, so employers yeah. and employees pay in itself. 
insurance model. And I think the big thing to remember, too, is no matter the size of your employer, every worker is going to need paid time off at some point. So we have to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, And hopefully, you know, for small businesses, it's a retention issue, too, and loyalty and being able to maintain your workforce, too. And this list, you kind of look at at this particular list, actually all the metrics used by by WalletHub, Wisconsin finished slightly ahead of Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota, though, ranked, you know, number one in child care, number nine in professional opportunities, and then uh, work-life balance, 16. Um, that, that's the thing. And Jonathan and I opened the show talking about our, our moms. And I, my mom worked full-time. And yeah, I, I take a step back and I think about, you know, what she did, you know, full-time as a nurse and then taking care of three rowdy boys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my, my dad was in the mix as well. But, you know, it, it, is, it is quite a job. And and for for working moms and what they take on, um, all, all the support we can provide collectively is is a big part of of that. Absolutely, and I think too, trying to make sure that we have opportunities for women to participate in and advance in high wage, high demand careers, so that you know we're also addressing the the gender pay gap that has just persisted over time. You know, women on average make. 81 cents for every dollar a man makes in Minnesota. So what efforts can we take to help um, get, you know, more women into those high wage, high demand jobs too. And joining us on the program, Kate Perushek, deputy commissioner, Minnesota department of labor and industry on this mother's day. Once again, an annual study from the financial site wallet hub has Minnesota ranked six on the list of best uh, states working mothers. Uh, Wisconsin does get bragging rights. They rank slightly higher when all the metrics are, are taken into consideration. There, there's a lot of talk about what other countries do, and I'm sure in your job, um, you know, there, there's models in Europe and other parts of the world where they're doing right by working moms. Talk a little bit about that and maybe where we can improve and, and what they're doing in other parts of the world to, to, uh, to help working moms. Well, I know we've, we, we've discussed this a little bit, but, you know, paid family and medical leave is key and important, a place where the United States is lagging very far behind. But I think in Minnesota, we have been innovative for a number of years now. I'm so proud to say that um, on Mother's Day nine years ago, then Governor Dayton signed the Women's Economic Security Act into law here in the state. And that was a package of 14 bills designed to support um, women in the workplace. And we're continuing to make progress. So under Governor Walz's leadership, as of a year ago, uh, women can now take breaks to express milk at work for their infants um, without losing pay. We're the third state in the nation now that provides that paid compensation time to take breaks to express milk at work. So we're really proud of that initiative as well. Just a couple examples. Going forward, what, what can we do? Uh, what, what would continue to move this in a direction where uh, that, that work-life balance is where it should be for moms? 
I think continuing that focus on affordable, accessible, and possibly subsidized childcare, better jobs, quality public schools, earn sick and safe time would be another great initiative. Um, I know something that's moving through the legislature right now, too, would be a state-administered retirement savings plan for workers who don't have a plan through their employer. So ensuring that working mothers and women have economic security throughout their lifetime. So if they need to take time off work to care for themselves, a new baby, a loved one, um, they're able to maintain their income and have you know retirement security down the line, too. Well, Kate, good good to visit with you today. We we certainly appreciate your thoughts. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Kate Perushek, Deputy Commissioner, Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry. And you can go to WalletHub, uh, check out those rankings. But it, it is really interesting. It, you, you look, uh, number one, Massachusetts, number two, Rhode Island, then Connecticut, uh, the District of Columbia, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Vermont, New Jersey, Maine, and Delaware all rank in the top 10 in these metrics. And as I brought up with Kate, there, there is that challenge because a lot of people were saying, well, I paid for a daycare, and that that's true. Uh, my wife and I found a way to pay for daycare once upon a time. But as I heard uh, a couple of weeks back, when, when a woman I work with during the week returned to work and and what the daycare expense was, they had to make a difficult decision as a family on how they were going to be able to and to pay the bills they both need to work. And in this circumstance, they both couldn't work first shift because they couldn't afford the daycare. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is they made a decision so this person had to put in her notice, find a new job, and I can't remember. I believe it's second shift, not third shift. Third shift's tough. So dad works first shift. Mom works second shift so they can pay the bills. Now, I, I think you'd say, well, you know, everyone's got to make sacrifices. Both hardworking people, but they just can't flat out afford the daycare. Not going to name names. Not important. The point being is, is that maybe as a society, we need to do more so these good, hardworking people can work for a shift, afford daycare, pay the bills, and be at home in the evening as a family. Just a thought. Seems reasonable to me. 822 here in this Mother's Day. We'll come right back here on News Talk. E3O-WCCO. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It is Steel Talk and Gerilyn Steele has the night off. Steve Thompson sitting in tonight for Gerilyn. Air News Talk, E3OWCCO. Jonathan Lowell hanging out as well, our producer in studio. And good, good to visit uh, with Kate Peruzhek, uh about an important topic on this Mother's Day and what what we can do to uh, support moms. And I, I told that story before the break, and I, I think it's worth amplifying about, you know, what we can do better as a society. And I, and I think too often topics like this turn into, well, we can't afford it, or I, I don't think we have enough conversations, whatever part of the political spectrum you fall on, somewhere in the middle, out on the end, about what our priorities should be. And I, I remember early in the legislative session, uh, one of the ideas that was put out there is free school lunch uh, for all, K through 12, public schools, anywhere in the state of Minnesota. And based on all the facts, and what we know, and uh, families they can't afford, and, and it, I, I think to myself, that's something I can be on board with. I, I, I think the richest country in the history of the world, we, kids show up at school, I'm going to buy them lunch. I, I'm good with that. And I, I remember a couple of stories along the way when my kids were in school. I would forget to write a check occasionally, or my wife would. And this, this was back in the day when you, you wrote checks and sent it along, and that was given to the lunch lady, and then they would punch it into the system and they would be good to go and be able to get school lunch. When I would forget, or we'd run out of checks, um, they wouldn't be able to get school lunch and they would get they would get the cheese sandwich. And now you say what you want about school lunch. But there, there's the kids that would bring the, the lunch box or the lunch bag from home every day. I, I, was always a, I was always a hot lunch guy growing up. My mom and dad really wouldn't let us or get involved in making and brown bagging it. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't bring our lunch to school. We'd eat at school. My kids were in the same boat. But on those times when I forgot to pay, and then one of my daughters would come home and say, yeah, we had to have a cheese sandwich today because you forgot to pay the lunch lady. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm sure it was a bummer. Let's just pay for school lunch. But I, beyond that, when, when do we have a reasonable conversation 
about what we should do as a society to support parents, and in this case, support moms, so they can pursue work or pursue their careers if they so choose. Now, now there are other families that make it work, where one of the parents stays home. Um, and there are some that would argue on the political spectrum that that one of the parents should stay home with the kids, raise the kids at home. Um, the economic model generally, though, doesn't work for most folks. That to pay the mortgage or pay the rent and have a vehicle or two and put food on the table, both parents need to work to pay those bills. And then you get into a single-parent situation, and it gets much more complicated. And I think having a reasonable discussion about government's role in supporting families, parents with children, particularly children that need daycare, is, is something we should have without the fighting. But ah, it's too much, too much money. Um, I, I think we should have, let's go to Nick in Roseville, uh, joining us here on the city's one plumbing talk and text line. Nick, good evening. Hey, Hey Steve, how you doing? Good evening. Uh, good. great to hear you. Um, so I agree that, uh, school lunches, I'm happy that the law was passed. The school lunches are paid for automatically because when I was in school, there were times where I would, did you, when you were talking about checks, did you ever have, did your kids ever have lunch tickets? Yeah, probably. My oldest daughter probably did. I, I don't know when they went over to the keypad system. I know when I, ninety nine. you know, a, a million years ago, when I was yeah. roaming the earth with dinosaurs, we had lunch <laughs> tickets. Um, but I, yeah. I, I don't know if my kids did, but I knew we wrote checks. Mm-hmm. And we'd hand them off to the kids, and sometimes we'd forget. And then they would yep. get the cheese sandwich to say, yeah, Dad, it was really embarrassing. I didn't have lunch mm-hmm. money, and I had to have the cheese sandwich. Now, now think about that. If there's a kid in that situation day after day after day, or they're denied getting lunch, I, I can't deal with that. Once I know. again, I'll go I, back I, I, to I, I, we have enough money. If a kid's going to. Get on the bus and go to school and try to learn. I'm fine buying them lunch. We can afford that. We mm-hmm. can afford that, and I'm glad they did it. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, yeah. thanks Nick. Now, now yep. on bigger topics, though, I, I think we should have this discussion on the, on the follow-up about what is reasonable. And I, I, I'm not sure we do that enough. It becomes, no, we, we just can't afford that, and... Yeah, but can we? And what should the priorities be? And and I think giving people access to daycare, quality daycare they can afford and quality programs so so they can work and do the right thing and pay the bills and pay their taxes and contribute to society in the ways we want. On the flip side, the daycare um, and and child care is a big part of it. So if you've got a thought, uh, the number is easy, 651-461-9226.
888-900-9226. It is the city's one plumbing talk and text line. You are always welcome on all our programs here on News Talk, including Vanita, the morning news, uh, Adam and Jordana, 9 to noon, afternoon, the Chad Hartman show, and then, of course, drive time with Darush, Jason Darush, and, of course, Henry Lake and the Lake Show, a weeknight here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. We should take a break. Uh, we will come back. We'll have an update on the weather. And then uh, another big story in the news right now, the debt ceiling. Will, will, they, will they get it done? Are, are we standing on the edge of a financial, a fiscal cliff? We'll get into that with Mark Goldwine here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. We aren't really sure what the date is. Let's say June 1, for argument's sake, that the United States could default on its debts. And right now, uh, President Biden would like to raise the debt ceiling without condition so the United States can continue to borrow money, pay its bills, and move forward. Now, Speaker of the House McCarthy and the GOP would like to get some budget cuts in return for raising the debt ceiling. I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And joining us to sort all of this out, how bad could it be? Uh, Mark Goldwine, Senior VP and Senior Policy Director, a Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Mark, good evening. Thanks for having me. Uh, Mark, do, do I have it about right? President Biden's saying, let's raise debt limit, no conditions, we'll talk budget later. GOP is saying, we'll do that, but we want significant budget cuts now. Uh, yeah, you pretty much summed it up, although they do now appear to be entering actual budget negotiations. Yeah, and that that's interesting to me because we've we've been here before and – the the scenario was similar. Uh, there was a Democrat in the White House. The GOP was in control, and there were some budget concessions once upon a time. This is actually pretty typical of okay. debt limits. If we go back to the 1980s, the Grand Rudman Hollands um, deficit reduction targets were on debt limit. If we go to the 90s, all three major budget deals, 1990, 93, 97, were on debt limit. Uh, as you mentioned, 2011. The budget caps were part of a debt limit. In 2010, we put statutory pay go and uh, launched the fiscal commission. So it's actually been pretty normal for budget negotiations and debt limit to go hand in hand. Some would say, though, that playing chicken in this way, if you will, is probably a bad idea, that it would be better just raise the debt limit, talk budget later. Uh, I mean, I think in an ideal world, we would just be able to follow the actual budget process and get our debt under control. Um, And nobody thinks that this is the ideal way to do this. And we absolutely cannot threaten the full faith and credit of the U.S. and cannot risk a default. With that said, um, it, it has been pretty normal for deficit reduction conversations and debt limit conversations to happen at the same time. And so long as everybody agrees at the end of the day, we are going to raise the debt limit. Uh, there, there's nothing per se wrong with that. Uh, Mark Goldwine joining us, Senior VP and Senior Policy Director, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Um, this goal of getting a balanced budget seems out of reach. 
that, you know, where we're at right now, is it, is it even doable? It, it, it's not, certainly not in the next uh, decade. You'd have to cut all spending, if you did the spending side, by about a quarter. If you were to take defense, veterans, Social Security, and Medicare off the table, you'd have to cut all spending by 80%. Uh, that's obviously ridiculous. We're not going to get rid of 80% or even a quarter of government. Uh, if you bring the tax code in, it gets a bit easier. But uh, I, I don't think balance is a realistic target. A realistic target is to get our debt to just stop growing so fast, to stop growing faster than the economy. And that means we can still borrow, but maybe not $2 trillion a year, which is where we're headed. Yeah, and Mark, there's always this talk about, you know, the the third rail of politics. Anytime there's a discussion about entitlement programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, that that just doesn't fly. And then any candidate for political office that brings up the idea that, you know, we may need to cut defense spending, uh, that that's that's also dangerous territory for for someone running for political office or trying to hang on to a political office. But beyond the big four, you know, what what really can be done? Well, I, I do think we can start with discretionary spending caps, and those should apply both to defense and non-defense. But you make a really good point. Look, the three largest government programs are Social Security, Medicare, and defense. If you're not willing to touch those, and if you're not willing to touch the tax code, and by the way, both parties agree no taxes for 98% of Americans, uh, there's not much we can do. So we do need to de-electrify these third rails a little bit. Maybe start by finding some policies in healthcare that lower costs without actually reducing benefits. Yeah, I, I've also seen the defense numbers, and, I, and I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I have all the answers. But when you look at what the United States spends on defense, and then take the next ten, twelve countries, and we we've all seen the list. I I, I think the United Sp- States outspends the next nine or ten combined in defense. Is is that really reasonable? And, and it doesn't seem like we can have a reasonable discussion uh, of, about it without people getting all fired up. Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to have a reasonable discussion in this city, but I don't see how defense can be off the table for discussion. Uh, every part of the budget has waste. So, look, we could look big picture. Are we spending too much on defense? Are we doing too much uh, relative to other countries? But we don't have to get that far. We can just look at sort of the wasteful bloat at the bureaucracy, at the weapon systems that nobody wants, but we keep doing because they're in some congressman's district. Um, and we can get a lot of savings there before even having to look seriously at force structure, um, at mission, at things like that. Yeah, You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Mark, because for years I, I've talked to uh, our, a writer who's covered the space program for a long time. And I, I think this is a, uh, a clear example we can lay out to our listeners. And and I, I, I've talked to Robert Zimmerman, who has a website behind the black, and he's written many books about the space program, and he wrote a policy paper about the gigantic space launch system that launched recently. It was Artemis One, and it was uh, put together parts from the space shuttle, and Congress had a lot of say in how this thing uh, this, this multi-billion dollar system, billions over budget, took 
much longer to launch. It launched once. It may launch again in a couple of years. It may return astronauts to the moon before the end of the decade. It, it may. Prohibitively expensive. When in reality, private enterprise companies like SpaceX are, are doing similar things much cheaper, much more efficiently. That, that to me, is a perfect example. And, and Bob Zimmerman has talked about that on these airwaves before. That's just one example of, do we really need to do the space launch system as it's currently configured, or does this just keep a lot of Congress, uh, members of Congress happy because it's spreading jobs and money around the country? Yeah, and we see this in program to program. And if you look at infrastructure, how much more we spend for the federal government to do infrastructure versus private infrastructure, um, it's ridiculous. And some of it is, as you said, it's the members of Congress trying to get theirs in their district. But a lot of it is a really arduous permitting process and so much red tape uh, that just makes it impossible to do things efficiently. Yeah, there also seems to be... um if if this project were fair, and I, I don't know how your group feels about it, but it seems as though in this particular bill that uh, Speaker McCarthy put forward uh, the, the, the trying to get uh, the debt limit raised and in turn uh, get some concessions and some budget reductions, um, there, there were some things that were left untouched, that there were congressmen from farm states that... Uh, uh, members of Congress from farm states that said, well, we, we've got to keep ethanol subsidies. I mean, if we're going to have an honest discussion, shouldn't everything be on the table? That- uh, everything has to be on the table if we're going to get our debt under control. Um, we put out a plan a few months ago that was about $8 trillion, and we looked at farm subsidies, we looked at Medicare, we looked at Medicaid, we looked at Social Security, we looked at defense, we looked at... Uh, Carbon taxes, taxes on the rich, capital gains. You really have to look at everything if you're going to actually solve this problem. That being said, incremental progress is still progress. And so if we can get some of the lower hanging fruit now, we should grab it. Um, you, you brought up something earlier, and, and I think we should circle back around to this. A default is a really, really bad idea. In any way, shape, or form. I mean, if it does take some sort of budget compromise to raise the debt ceiling, that needs to be done, correct? We absolutely need to raise or suspend the debt ceiling. The best case scenario, if we don't, is that the president needs to break a bunch of laws and stop paying people money that they're owed, whether it's government contractors or Uh, hospitals or social security beneficiaries. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that we miss a payment on our debt and we blow up the entire global financial system and we have a huge financial crisis. And it could be anything in between. And even getting close to default could rock the financial market. So we absolutely, without equivocation, need to raise or suspend the debt limit. Yeah, I am certainly no financial expert, but uncertainty is a bad thing. Uh, no, no question. I mean, we need to do this. We should have done this months ago. Um, right now, we're at the point that we don't actually know when we're going to hit the debt limit. It might be in three weeks. It might be in two months. We don't know yet. Um, but we shouldn't have come this close that we have to worry. We should have done this months ago.
Um, when when you when you look at this problem and and you said it, it will take years and years of discipline, one of the things I, I've heard along the way and uh, earlier in my career covering news, I spent time in South Dakota, uh, paid attention here in the state of Minnesota, that it depends on what what party's in power, but even if we just held the line that there are things like built-in spending increases and cost of living increases, et cetera, that, that sometimes a budget cut really isn't a budget cut. It's just a reduction in the size of the increase uh, of the budget in front of us. And that's where it gets confusing for people, I think, that they don't really understand the numbers. Cuts might not be cuts. It's just like, no, we're just going to hold spending at 2023 levels and we're not going to spend any more and particular budgets are not going to grow. Uh, that's exactly right. And to, to add to the confusion, we measure relative to uh, sort of current law projections where different programs grow at different rates. So, for example, um, what would be a cut for Social Security would actually be an increase for defense because our budget basically assumes defense is going to grow two and a half a year and Social Security is going to grow five a year. Um, but we could solve this without cutting. I mean, we have to cut certain things, but without cutting overall, we could solve this by just slowing the growth of Social Security, slowing the growth of Medicare, slowing the growth of Medicaid, slowing the growth of defense. Um, and increasing the growth of revenue a little bit, maybe by slowing the growth of tax breaks. We don't need to cut things back to 2015 levels or anything like that. We just need to stop them from growing faster and faster. Um, what, one final thought on that when it comes to, for instance, entitlements, raising retirement ages, et cetera, uh, raising the age of eligibility for for Medicare, et cetera. Does, does that stuff really work, or is it just kicking the can down the road? No, I think that, uh, look, we're not going to fix the whole budget by raising retirement ages, but part of what's driving this rising cost is that people are spending more and more years on Social Security, more and more years on Medicare. So adjusting the age to account for rising life expectancy when it is rising, that can help account for that. It can also provide an economic boost because it encourages people to work longer. And it turns out, we know from the literature, that most people that retire later end up healthier, they end up happier, they end up wealthier, uh, they have lower divorce rates, lower rates of drinking, lower rates of TV watching. So it's the type of thing that could actually be beneficial to a lot of the workers as well as to the economy and to the budget. All right, uh, Mark, final thoughts. Some of these other ideas that if, if the White House and Congress aren't able to get together on a deal with with cuts that uh, the GOP-led House uh, want, and uh, President Biden's just saying, no, I, I want the, the debt limit increase, we'll talk budget later, if they aren't able to get a deal done. There's other things like the 14th Amendment or minting a trillion-dollar coin, all gimmicks. Uh, is, is that even reality, or is that, that just fantasy? You know, they might be slightly better than an outright default, but I think they're very risky. It's not clear the markets would see them any differently. And it just announces to the world that we're a banana republic. What we need to do is talk to each other. The president and the speaker need to come to a deal to raise the debt limit, and they need to do it soon. Um, before we let you go, Mark, a l- little bit about uh, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. How do people find out more? 
Yeah, check out our website at crfb.org. We are a nonpartisan, totally nonpartisan organization that's focused on educating the public and working with uh, the Hill and Congress and the media on issues related to the federal budget and the economy at large. Well, Mark, good to visit with you. Thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is, Mark Goldwine, Senior VP and Senior Policy Director, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, joining us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Stephen Fitzgerald, tonight, uh, we'll, we'll take a break. We've got all the news coming up at 9 o'clock here at News Talk. E3O-WCCO. Steel Talk and Gerilyn took Mother's Day off. Steve Thompson in, Jonathan Lowe is our producer. And big thanks to Jonathan and our guests this hour here on the program. Uh, Kate Perushek, Deputy Commissioner, Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry. Uh, Minnesota, based on uh, that uh, study done, Wallet Hub had it. Minnesota, Wisconsin doing a good job, ranked fifth and sixth, but uh, there's more to do. And then uh, a moment ago, Mark Goldwine, Senior VP and Senior Policy Director, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. I really do believe this, that most of us politically are in the middle somewhere, are in this middle ground. And I would love there to be a reasonable discussion about what our government spends money on, what the priorities are, and how we can make this work going forward. But based, and and I generally am a sports guy sitting in for Henry Lake or on, on Saturday afternoons. That That's all I would like, personally, is just a reasonable discussion. If, if we're going to have... This on the table, we should also have that on the table. That we we should talk about everything. And there, there shouldn't be something that's set aside and say, well, we can't we can't do that. You know, we that that that's that's off the table. No, I, I think it should all be discussed in getting to a spot somewhere in the middle when it becomes or when it comes to fiscal responsibility. I know it's a dream, but maybe someday. We have all the news, all the weather coming up at 9 here on CCO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.